It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you this morning. Um, as Ron said, um, you know, we were late with uh, Sam and Druid. They loved us very much. We missed them. Um, they're the, Sam, I told Sam before he left that, that uh, he was the, the only pastor my children have known, and that's a, that's a pretty interesting thing to think about, uh, the, the mark that's left on a young life like that. Um, just uh, we've enjoyed our relationship and, and with you guys in that regard. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Ron Steele working with us as, a member of se- as the session as we uh, begin our search process. I'm very grateful for that. And I know, uh, I know Ron. Um, I'm a ruling. Grace Coastal has been our church home for 20, 20 years now, 19 years, something like that. So uh, I like to think that, uh, you know, I've been a part of all the good things that have happened at Grace Coastal Church, or most of them, but also the bad things, too. So uh, as an elder, you bear these kind of responsibilities. Um, but uh, we, we, are, we, we know that God is working in both our congregations. We're searching for a pastor, just as y'all are, and we'll be keeping you in our prayers as well. Our scripture this morning comes from uh, the book of Jude, and if you have your Bibles and wish to turn... Uh, We're not going to read the whole book, although if you're going to read a whole book, this is one of them that would be really quick. It's only 24 verses. And the way we do in our tradition is uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 and then jump to verses 20 through 23. If you'll please stand as we read the Word of God, if you're able. Please stand if you are able. He who has ears, let him hear. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were were designated for the condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, And then we'll skip to verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your spirit that fills and illuminates us so that we will understand and see you and see the wondrous works of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this morning that you open your word to us. Father, that I may decrease, that you may increase. Uh, Lord, we are grateful for your presence. We're grateful for your message. And we pray, dear God, that we will hear these words and learn to live and love you better. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're looking at the epistle of Jude. Uh, It's a letter. It's one of the smallest books of the Bible, like I said, and it's often overlooked. Um, And, uh, you know, it's located at the very end of the New Testament. Uh, It's located right next to the book of Revelation. So uh, it's kind of like a mom and pop store located next to Costco. You know, everybody kind of drives past because they're going to Costco. But this is a great little book, and it's filled with all kinds of wonderful truths. And if you run by and skip it, uh, you'll miss out on something that's unique and memorable. Uh, Jude is a letter. It's an epistle. It's almost too small to be called a book, if you think about it. Uh, It's just 25 verses. It's shorter than most psalms and most chapters of other books of the Bible, especially Psalm 119. Um, 
Nevertheless, it packs a punch. It's short and sweet. It cuts to the core of the reader. Uh, When you read it, it really grabs you and really kind of shakes you in a way. So who is Jude? Uh, Jude is an interesting name these days. You don't run into many people named Jude. It's a biblical name. A lot of people like naming their kids after Bible stuff, Bible characters. But Jude's very rare. Uh, Thomas Hardy had a book called uh, Jude the Obscure, if you've ever read that, or maybe you were inflicted, that was inflicted on you when you were in school, like Great Expectations or something, Dickens. Or uh, there's, there's Paul, Simon, uh, Paul McCartney's song, Hey Jude, right, that he sang of the Beatles, and, uh, which is, which is kind of weird. It's a song that was sung and written uh, for, uh, for uh, John Lennon's son, Jules, and if you didn't know this music trivia, and John was actually leaving his family at that time, and so Paul McCartney wrote a song to comfort his little boy. And then he changed the name to make it sound better in the music or something. So, Hey Jude, you started out as Hey Jules, which is, which is kind of weird. It makes it even more depressing than Great Expectations in its own way. You know, it's, it says a lot. The identity of Jude has been kind of kicked around over the years as to who this could be or could have been. It's a fairly common name in, in Palestine at the time. Jude, Judah is basically what Jude is short for which is, a, like I said, pretty common in those days and of no unique significance. There was a disciple named Thaddeus that was often thought to have been Jude, but that's not really the case. And, of course, there was Judas Iscariot, and we're pretty much happy about eliminating him as a candidate for this. So who was Jude? Um, well, he introduces himself here in verse 1. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, James was also a fairly common name back in uh, Palestinian times, or back in Jesus' time. Uh, James and Jude, or Judas, would have been like, like, you know, Bob and John, that type of thing. So, uh, James uh, was uh, the brother of John. We know there was a James, the brother of John, one of Jesus' disciples. James and John were called sons of thunder, and he was pretty uh, bold. If you think about this, you know, Jesus called them this. It can't really be, we think it's, it's not his brother, because that James was actually uh, mur- uh, martyred by Herod Agrippa very early on, long before this letter was written. And so it's, Jude, Jude is referring to his current brother. But that leads people to really think, and when you think about this, that leads us to understand that Jude was probably the brother of James, the brother of Christ. So Jude is Jesus' little brother. And he's writing this letter to these Christians uh, in, this, in the early church. It's interesting that he identifies himself with his brother James and not with Jesus. He doesn't uh, name drop his big brother Jesus. It some, shows some humility, I think, on Jude's part. James was also a pretty big figure in the, in the early church at that time. But Jude's brother, Jude's own brother, was his savior, and you, you know, he probably shared a bed with Jesus. You know, back in the day, that families all lived in one room, and they you know stayed in one room together. All the kids bunked together, or you're upstairs uh, on the roof, under the starry sky, sleeping on a pallet, that kind of thing. But here's a guy that here's a guy that shared a bedroom with his big brother Jesus, who was the Son of God. Now I've got a brother. I look up to him because he's taller than me, generally because he's my younger brother. I spent a lot of time abusing him as a kid, and he, he to me, that type of thing. He's not Messiah material. He's a good guy. I love my brother very much. But uh, there's no way uh, he would have been be considered something like that. Imagine being Jude and having this older brother, this big brother, who was the son of God. 
you know, not all Jesus' brothers believed right away. It's amazing to think about this, the relationship that he had with his brothers. John 7 tells us that, that Jesus was lying low in Galilee because the Jews were trying to kill him. And his brothers were like, why are you here? You know, go, go be somewhere else. Go do your tricks in Jerusalem for your disciples to see you. Come on. They, they didn't, probably didn't want the heat coming down on them as well. You know, they say, well, you know, if you believe all this stuff, I mean, you, you heal people, okay, great. Go heal people in Jerusalem. And, you know, John later says that his brothers did not believe. Of course, we know Jesus later goes on to Jerusalem, and he does incredible things and calls attention to himself, just like they, uh, they said he would do. And all that has changed now. Jude is remembering back, and he's remembering his older brother, and he's remembering the teachings of Christ. And at some point, Jude became a believer. He was at one point converted by the Spirit, converted to the worship and to the love of, his, of Jesus Christ. And his life changed. He became a leader in the church. And he's, he's writing a letter to these, this young congregation, wherever this may be. And, and we read, you know, it says that, uh, you know, it's probably, as you read it, you begin to realize this is probably, as some people like to say, is probably not the letter that he intended to write. Maybe he started out to write a good, comforting, cheerful letter. And instead realizes that he's got to attend to something. He's got to deal, as so often happens in churches. He has to deal with an issue that's going on at this church. Uh, He wants to cheer them up and share in Christ's glory. But instead he has to warn them about wolves in sheep's clothing, false teachers. Let's look at the rest of verse 1. It says, uh, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother to James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept, for Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful passage because Jude is showing you how God sees you, how Jesus sees you. He loves you very much. He has called you and he's sanctified you or separated you for, for Jesus. You're set apart by God for his use. You're an object of his affection. This is God's action, not yours. And as Calvin says, he's uh, a great thought on this. He says, in this place, It makes little difference in which way you take it, for he, no doubt, commends the grace of God by which he has been pleased to choose them as his peculiar treasure. You are God's treasure. You are special to him. And just in that vein of love, in that that sense of care, Jude is writing to these people. He could very easily be writing to these people who are dealing with this false teacher situation. He could say, you morons, you idiot, straighten up. But he writes to them in love, which teaches us a lot about how we address each other as believers. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that. You're beloved by God the Father, by your heavenly Father. And it's quite a contrast with our earthly fathers. I'm not a perfect dad. My boys have seen the best and the worst of me. I remember my father well. My boys are, are I love my boys. They're very good. And, but there are times when they'll drive me crazy. But I always love them no matter what. And it's got nothing compared to the love that God has for us as our Father. We're kept by Jesus Christ. It says, you're kept by Christ. You know, uh, you know, 1 Peter 1, uh, 5-8 says that, uh, 1 Peter 5-8 says that Satan prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus told Peter that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. A chilling thought. Jesus' own name. Jesus' very name causes Satan to tremble. And we read the words of Mighty Fortress. It says, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word 
shall fell him. Jesus remembered you in the garden when he prayed. He prayed for the, to the Father on that wonderful tragic night. John 17, 9 says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. You and I still sin, and we seek to live lives of holiness. We struggle continuously in our habits. In Christ, we are sinners and yet saints, which is interesting. Sinful, but not to continue in your sins. This is our sanctification process. This is how our process, we live the process of becoming like Christ in our lives. His Holy Spirit gives you strength to endure, to get up each time you fall down. Jude continues, look in, um, look in verse uh, 3 here. Verse 2 says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. In verse 3, he says, beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So instead, like I said, of writing to share the good news, Jude must issue a call to arms to his people. The previous words um, that he shared were mostly passive. You know, God's kept you. God's called you. You're beloved in him. But now he's giving them an active voice. He's giving them something that they must do. And he's telling them that they must contend for the faith. They must contend for, um, for what is to come. You know, we know that uh, John 14, 6, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so this is what you fight for. You fight for the truth of Christ. And Jude is reminding the people of that. You know, the, the truth is the gospel. The good news of your salvation through your, the completed work of Christ on the cross. This is your faith that's found in God's word given to you. He says it's delivered to the saints. Your faith, the truth that you know is not something that you cooked up or something that you dreamed up. Or you know, We have this idea in modern day where we want to kind of put together our faith like we're at, a, at the Golden Corral at a cafeteria or something. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of Reformed, a little bit of Baptist, you know, whatever your background might be. And we kind of assemble it all and we deal with it that way. But, but above all of that is the truth of Christ. And it's given to us in the gospel. You know, we want to say that, you know, stuff like, you know, my God is a God of love. He's not a God of judgment. You know, and that's great, but you know, that's not the full truth of the gospel. And Jesus didn't tell his disciples to pick and choose. He didn't, when Jesus preached and taught with his disciples, he didn't say, you know, was, was, if that was too hard, guys, just don't worry about it right now, okay? He just, you don't have to believe that. I'm just talking. Jesus never did that. He was always very careful about what he said, but he always spoke the truth. And sometimes it was difficult. Often his disciples would leave. He would lose crowds of people sometimes. And Jesus, one time, I remember he turned to his disciples. You know, a bunch of people left. And he says, you, what about you guys? Are you leaving too? You know, and the group, core group, his 12 and a few others were standing there. You know, of course, Peter's like, where else are we going to go, Jesus? I mean, you're it. And so that's, you know, they stuck with him even through that. It's like Groucho Marx. He had a quote about principles. You know, we, we, have, uh, we like to pick and choose our principles nowadays. He said, these are my principles. And if you don't like them, well, I have others. We can pick and choose. So to contend, what Jude is saying, is to fight for, is to, is to combat for. Not with the sword, but with sound doctrine and the example of a holy life, as Theodore Bezos said. And it's not necessarily easy to have all the weapons, in, but you have all the weapons and tools of your, in the arsenal already. You have God's word. You have his spirit to illuminate it and seal it on your heart. And you have the richness of church history. And the sound doctrine of faithful tradition. You have each other. 
You have, this is why you encourage each other in the faith. This is why you come to church. It's been very tempting since the pandemic to stay home and maybe watch things on TV and watch the service at TV. And it's been great. We, we have a live stream that we started during our pandemic and, and it's been very serviceable and good and we still have it going for anyone who needs to tune in. Uh, and, and I'll tell you from a preaching perspective, it's nice, I'm told this is recorded, but we don't, we're not doing video and it's nice not to, I may have a, a voice for preaching, but a face for radio. And so it kind of gives me this sense that I got that little bit of comfort there. But, but you know, it's very easy, very tempting to say, well, I'm just going to watch the worship service this morning. You know, I got to get out on the boat this afternoon. It kind of helps me get cleaned off, you know. But being here together to worship together and then fellowshipping throughout the week and sharing each other's lives together, that's where we gain strength. And Jude talks about that. Contending for your faith is not easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be faith, right? Uh, I enjoy kayaking. I spend a lot of time on the water. One of the most interesting and enjoyable and challenging places to kayak, if you've never done it, is Charleston Harbor. And I don't know if you've ever been out there before, but uh, there are some waves that can get up in Charleston. And we're not professional kayakers by any means. It's usually myself and a couple of friends, and we're kind of lazy. And we got a weird idea about six or eight years ago. We wanted to paddle out to Fort Sumter. And so we, we put in there at Sunrise Park over on, uh, I think it's where we put in, across from the city. And we paddled out around Fort Johnson, and we are going to head out to the fort. And, you know, and we got out there, and, of course, the breeze gets up. You know, about this time, my, my friends are all grumbling at me because I'm the one to put the trip together. You know, but we're, we're tossing around, the waves got up. And I remember at one point, I would ride up to the top of a wave, and I'd look out, and I'd see the fort. And I'd turn my kayak, and then I'd go back down in a trough again, and all I would see was water. And all of us are doing that type of thing, you know. And finally, we got out there, and we dragged up to the fort, and we're covered in crusted salt and sand. And, you know, of course, the rangers, it was between tour, tour groups, and the rangers were like, where did y'all come from? Like the second invasion of uh, the Civil War or something like that. And uh, they, they entertained us a little bit. I know you can't go out there by boat anymore. I think that's a rule now that they've got it for it. So probably because of us, because of what we did. But that was, that was one of those things. That, and I still... I'll, I'll tell you that, that even though my friends really hated me that day, I, I'm still friends with all of them, which is interesting. <laughs> but it's because it was a memorable trip. We have a trip that we can remember, and we can always tell, like, wow, that was a, that was a challenge, you know, and we have this kind of connection that we've got with each other. And that's what your faith is like. We go through challenges and tough times and hard, hard issues, and we, it stresses and, and tries our faith, and, and that's what makes our faith strong. And that's what makes things memorable to us, when we see the cross at work, when we see God's grace at work in our lives, that's where we see and that's where we grow strongest. That's what, you know, that's what Jude is talking about. It's time to be strong. And he says to contend for the faith in three ways, and I'm told I can drink this. <clears throat> Number one, contend for the faith in your heart. How well do you know your own faith? You know, fight to know more, fight to destroy doubts and to apply it to all of life. Fight to remove the sinful barriers that keep you from believing and living. So you fight for faith, contend for the faith in your heart. You contend for the faith in the church. What are the doctrines of your church? Do you know what this church believes? If you're a member here or if you've been coming here, what, what does Eastbridge believe? There's a reason we study doctrines and creeds and church history. And this is one of the things that, that, as Jude is warning about false teachers, this is one of the things that false teachers will do. They'll come in and they'll take advantage of our lack of knowledge in some things. And they'll set themselves up as keepers of knowledge. 
You know, there's no such thing as doctrineless Christianity, as, uh, as uh, Derek Thomas says. Is that, you know, you, you can't have a doctrineless belief. You have a doctrine. Even if your doctrine is no doctrine, that's a doctrine. And so know the doctrine of your church. Know the doctrine of the PCA. So contend for the faith in your heart. Contend for the faith in the church. And contend for the faith in the world. That's the third thing. Do you defend your faith to others? Can you defend your faith to other people? Do you present Christ to others? Is the same you that happens on Sunday morning that comes to church the same you that people see on a Thursday afternoon? You must be uh, able to defend your faith to scoffers. Even, you know, nowadays you defend it online sometimes, and maybe you're called to do that. Who knows? Sometimes you defend your faith within the church, which is what Jude is talking about. You must be careful not to get too caught up in the fight. Sometimes it's enjoyable to argue about things. You have to be careful that you're not getting too caught up in that or fighting just for fighting's sake. You know, there's a quote in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Faramir has, has, um, has, a, has a, a really... Uh, interesting way of putting it, you know, he's, you know the taste of battle the, the, has come, the, the, the destruction of Sauron and the dark forces. And, and, and what he says is, he says, war must be. He's facing this destruction with his kingdom. While we defend, on our, while we defend, it, while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all, I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. Do you present Christ in your life in a way that accommodates the ungodly or as he is? Do you present, are you, if, would you be persecuted for your faith as you present it? You know, First uh, Peter uh, 3, 15 and 16 talks about how uh, we're always to be ready to and prepared to give it a good account or give a reason for the joy that is in, in us. Is your faith, does it give you joy? And when people see that, do they wonder why? You know, Jude is urging this young church to fight for the truth of the gospel that was given to them. Because look at verse 4, this is the reason why. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, this is where Jude's letter turns kind of dark. And we realize that he's writing a letter of comfort. And then he has to turn and start writing this letter of a challenge to them. You know, uh, uh, false teachers. Was it Ferguson that said false teaching has done more damage to the church over the years than persecution has done? A church that's persecuted survives. A church that succumbs to false teaching often dies. That's God's message to... Uh, in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. You know, we, we see some that have fallen away from their first love, as he says. You know, in the verses following, we, we, Jude doesn't really give an example of what the false teaching is. He doesn't say, guys, they're teaching this thing or they're using that commentary. You know that's not a right good commentary. Stop that. You know, Jude doesn't say that. He says, he says several verses where he writes to them about how, uh, you, know, remembers, you know, they were to remember Sodom and Gomorrah. They are to remember some of these things in the Old Testament that uh, dealt with, with, with sexual licentiousness or, or, or things like that, Words, works of the flesh that people were, were holding up or were indulging themselves in, sexual morality. You know, with the Sodom and Gomorrah, we've got you know, Lot and his wife, they go and they're living there and it's this horrible place and God practically has to send angels in like SEAL Team 6 to get them out of there. It's that bad. 
And so it's speculated probably that that was what was happening in this church, is this type of stuff, this very, you know, modern in their day sort of idea of, of sexual freedom and all that was coming into the church at the time, and people were, were perverting the gospel with this. You know, we kind of deal with some of this stuff today, don't we? You know, 50-something years ago, if you'd have said that a man was a woman and a woman was a man or something like that, that would have just sort of blown people's minds. You know, my granddad would be like, what? You know, take a licking to me or something. He, he, it's something that we in our current culture, in our modern day, are, are now wrestling with and now churches are wrestling with and even accommodating to it, even in Reformed churches. And so we, we battle against these things. And we just like, just like the church that Jude is talking about, we have to know what we believe. We have to know the truth of God in order to stand up against the false teachings of those who want to twist the gospel. And you know, this is what Jude has talked about, that, uh, that people have come in, they've crept in unnoticed, as he says, and false teachers, we'll talk just a little about who they are a little bit. You know, false teachers are those who come in and they seem sincere. And they seem like they know what they're doing and they know the truth. But you, you know this. It's like if you ever pick out a Christmas tree and you go to shop for a Christmas tree, sometimes you don't know exactly which one you want, but you know the ones you don't want, right? My family likes to cut down a tree every year and it's always this ordeal and we do that and it's a lot of fun. But there's always, we wander around acres of these little tree farms and we finally find the one tree that we like, you know, and we get it home. And of course, my wife's like, I don't like this tree, you know, <laughs> every time. But we, we do this, it's a fun tradition. But you know this about false doctrine as well. You know when something's not right. False teachers appeal to your good common sense. They play on your fears, you know, Jude, if you would jump to 12 and 13, Jude talks about them a little bit. He describes them in some really colorful, interesting ways. Um, he says, uh, they are, verse 12, he says, These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by, by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom... The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. You know, we, we have hidden reefs. If you've ever been out in your boat, you know that uh, you, oyster beds will just tear your boat up, and you don't always know where they are. It's just sort of a low country thing. Uh, you're talking about how these people are, uh, and I think I'll need those pages, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> short sermon today, guys. The, um, grab that. This is maybe God's message that I should wrap up. <laughs> These people have no fear, and uh, these false teachers, one, I guess one of the main characteristics that they've got is, is that uh, they're in it for themselves, and they're, they will twist and turn uh, long-held doctrines to their own ends. And so that's one of the ways that you can do that. Shepherds feeding themselves, he gets really, really plain and clear about that. Instead of taking care of the people, they're always looking to, to benefit themselves. You know, Jude calls them waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees, if you live through drought or been a farmer, you know what that's all about. They're like wild waves. So what can you do? How can you, how can you deal with this? How can you protect yourself in the church as Jude is asking you to do? You know, you're, you're searching for a pastor right now. And I probably eliminated a, <laughs> a candidate by being here today. But uh, I'm very glad to know that, you know, we're doing the same thing. And I'm glad to know you guys are, are enduring the challenge like we are. We're searching for someone. But this is the time when the devil will strike when you think about this. 
The devil will use our divisions against us. He'll use our preferences against us. He'll, he'll take our confidence and build it up and make us believe. We, we get our, what we want. We're trying to get what we want out of something rather than what God wants. And, and we must remember, we must remember that he, that God, is the one who is in charge. That God is the one who is in control of all things. And he's foretold all of this. Look at verse 20. We'll wrap up with these things here. This is what we must do. You know, Jude goes on and on about the, about the false teachers, about the lies that, they, that, they, that they, they give and the word that they twist. And he says in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's verses 20 and 21. They must, in other words, they must build each other up. So build up one another. They must have love connected with faith, as Calvin says. Build up one another. Pray for each other. Spend time together in your small groups. Pray and, and, and greet one another. Be concerned for one another. Care for one another's spiritual conditions. You know, your, your session probably prays for you. Your teachers probably pray for you. You know, somewhere out there, God has a pastor that he is calling, that he is preparing already for you. That pastor is praying for you. Pray for him. Spend time together building each other up in order that you may know each other. You know, when you know each other, when you spend time with each other, you know your, 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 your foibles and you know your gifts and, and you, you can understand and give grace to people sometimes because you know them and you know their heart. Pray in the Spirit, as he says. Uh, you know, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, as Paul says in Romans eight twenty six. He prays to God for you. Know his word inside and out. So keep yourselves in, in the word. Keep yourselves Build each other up in prayer. And then the second thing he says is keep yourselves in love. Love is the key for this is how God's people are known. Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, they will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other. You know, the love that we share makes us, it sets us apart. Amy Carmichael was a missionary and she wrote a really good book called If... And it's just a little book, but she says, If I have not compassion on my fellow servant, even as my Lord had pity on me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. So keep each other in love. Overlook each other's faults. Overlook the things that they've done. Do you love each other? Do you remember the bad things or the comments that people have made from the past? And do you hold that in? Or do you seek to reconcile and seek to, seek to love one another and care for one another, even though, even though they may have hurt you? So verse 22, read verses 22 and 23, the last things that you'll do is have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them out of the fire to show others, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. So build each other up, keep one another in love, and then show mercy to each other. You know, show mercy even, he says, to those who have listened to the false teachings. And, you know, only by love sometimes, by spending time with somebody. You know, I've, as an elder, I've been challenged to take people to lunch. I've taken people to lunch at our church, and, and I've found out that there are long-held grievances against 
people or against me or against the session or something that some people still wrestle with. And it's a way to work this out and to meet in peace and to, and to deal with things to keep them from festering. And that way you can know and you can spend time with them and love them. And some people, he says, that you have to be stronger. You have to drag them out of the flames. And I hope that somebody loves me enough to do that if ever I'm falling into sin. So these are the things. We, we contend for the faith. We build each other up and care for each other. There are so many false teachings out there we have to be aware of and we have to watch for. C.S. Lewis says that uh, one road leads home and a thousand roads lead into the wilderness. I enjoy driving around in the forest roads out in the Wamba swamp out here. And you know, it's very quick. You're very easy to find. You're looking on your phone trying to get your map straight. It's very easy to find a dead-end road and have to turn around and come back. Well, one road leads home. Let's, let's walk that road together in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, dear Lord, for your church. We thank you for the truth of Christ. We thank you, dear God, that it is you who goes before us, our pillar of fire, our pillar of smoke. We thank you, dear Lord, that that because of your love, we love one another. Father, give us that love. Build us up so that we may be strong in our faith. We may contend for the truth and that, Lord, you will be glorified. And all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.